Hello. Welcome to today's live web discussion on the role of coal in the energy mix. I'm Nicolette Pombo-Fanseo, editor of ESI Africa and one of your moderators for today's discussion. The landscape is changing as renewable energy capacity comes online, challenging coal's once dominant role in the energy mix. However, it's not just about energy, as coal mining is a strategic economic driver. In a recent IEA market report, global coal demand is set to remain stable over the next five years, with a slight decline from 27% in 2017 to 25% by 2023. Should investors be concerned about putting money into coal mines, and can clean coal tech create a market share in the renewable space? Joining me today are three panelists who will debate these questions, among others. A warm welcome to Vuslat Baigulu, Managing Director of Manar Capital, Silas Zimu, former Energy Advisor in the Presidency of South Africa, and an advisory board member of the African Utility Week and PowerGen Africa Conference and Exhibition, as well as Ted Blom, who is a mining and energy advisor. And lastly, my fellow moderator for today, Laura Cornish, who is the editor of Mining Review Africa. To find out more about the panelists, you can toggle through the speaker tab at the top of your screen. For those of you who are just joining us, welcome. Before we begin, Take note of the following. On the left-hand side of your screen, you will find the Q&A box for you to use throughout the duration of the webinar. A recorded version of today's discussion will also be available to you to access from our website after the event. We asked you a survey when you registered for the webinar. And the webinar question uh, was very interesting as well as the results. The majority of mining professionals are clearly in favor of continued investment, while energy professionals seem to be at odds. Now, this could be because of renewables at play. Those in other sectors reflect a somewhat negative and undecided stance. And let's see if the panelists can sway your, your survey response. I will now ask each panelist to give a short opening statement. Vuslas, over to you. Hi. So I want to share uh, the first slide, uh, which is uh, the Last Supper, the most famous dinner visual uh, done by Leonardo da Vinci. This uh, uh, visual reminds me um, uh, the Western countries who are developed, they've done with um, their third industrial revolution, they advanced in their fourth industrial revolution. They're almost done with their supper, and South Africa comes and they want to eat as well. They say, no, no, supper is finished. So uh, I don't think this is uh, rational and this is fair, because I think uh, uh, coal and uh, coal-fired power generation and renewables can work hand in hand. So I don't believe that they compete. They actually complement. And uh, throughout this webinar, uh, the questions that will be raised, I will try to show you scientifically why I think that uh, uh, renewables and coal-fired power generation complement each other because there's huge need for power in the world. So that's my opening statement. 
Thank you, Vislet. Uh, Ted, let's hear what your stance is going to be during this debate. Certainly. Thank you very much. So uh, from, a, from a perspective that I start off with is that uh, I'm technology agnostic, whatever sorts uh, the, the problem is a solution as far as I'm concerned. However, I've come from the coal mining industry and I've spent about 30 years in the coal mining industry. And I believe that uh, there is a bright future for coal mining going forward, provided the players clean up the act. Um, they've been caught uh, with their pants uh, under their knees uh, by the renewables in the industry and, and uh, and, and correctly now they are taking a hiding from from, from the the, uh, the greenies, so to speak. Uh, but it's time for the coal people to, to get their act together, clean up the coal. And uh, if they do that, certainly in terms of coal gasification, I think there's a massive future lying ahead for coal. Thank Over. you so much, Ted. Uh, I, I like the, the terminology uh, where you say technology agnostic. Very interesting. Um, Silas, if you could also give us your one-minute opening statement. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think coal definition of base load compared to renewables doesn't give both any advantage to the other. They they need to complement each other. We've got a long way on our energy transition to still be using coal, and I agree with the previous speakers, they should not be competing. Yes, Ted, I agree with you. We must find technology that can make them to be less, if not non-polluting completely. Thank you. Thanks, Mr. Speaker. Uh, let's jump right into the discussion. Silas, and I'd like to open up with my first question to you, please. And that question is, can coal and renewable energy be complementary? Yes, uh, uh, coal has, has, has made our, our our industry, has made our economy globally. Uh, and I think years ago, we were talking of renewables being still uh, studied, being still researched. Uh, and as they came they came into 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 the market, you know, they should be complementing uh, the coal. But the, the the issue at the moment globally is we've got different leaders who are leading different institutions, either on coal or renewable, who seem to be competing when they should actually be, be working uh, together. We don't seem to give research a lot of effort that it deserves that can make uh, clean coal possible. There are countries that have started doing that. And I think instead of uh, starting from scratch to do our own research, we just need to to find out what those other countries have been doing and learn from them and improve on what they've been, they've been doing. So for me, they, they work hand in hand. Hence, in, uh, from 2015, uh, the, in South Africa, we started talking about the energy mix. And if you look at the, the IRP that needs to be approved and made public uh, soon, it also has the, 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 the energy mix. But if you, if you look at just as much as coal for South Africa in our province of Mpumalanga has created a lot of jobs, renewables have started creating a lot of jobs in areas where there's never been any jobs, particularly the Eastern Cape and the Northern Cape. Silas, thank you. I think I think the topic is um, is really broad and 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 you and you started focusing on on certain aspects of it. Ted, that leads me to another question, um, and and that is. 
the question of whether renewable energy structure is really affordable enough to, to actually consider discarding coal altogether. Okay, so I think what uh, one needs to do is just to get the definitions right uh, so that you compare apples with apples. Uh, the bottom line is that renewable energy, by and large, is not dispatchable. What does that mean? It means that it's not always available when you need it. It's uh, pretty erratic at times. Uh, whereas uh, coal genera- generation is generally available 24-7 unless it's scheduled for maintenance. So in order to get a, a renewable on the same base load uh, availability as coal, in other words, dispatchable, you'd need massive backup storage uh, for the times that renewable is not available. And if you do that, then you find that uh, a renewable 24-7 dispatchable electricity still comes at an incredibly high cost. In fact, uh, factors of 10 times or more the cost of coal. So at the, at the moment, uh, I'd say that uh, people are being confused by the marginal cost of electricity rather than the, the actual cost of dispatchable electricity. They don't understand the term dispatchable or available uh, 24-7. And I, having come from the mining industry, I mean, I would not be able to send my miners underground if I didn't know that I had dispatchable available electricity at 4 o'clock this afternoon when their shift or 6 o'clock when their shift ends or if there's an emergency. It just wouldn't be a prudent and realistic thing to do. So at the end of the day, if you want to compare apples with apples and have the renewables together with its in, in a tremendous expensive backup, which, which will change over time, but for the moment, uh, renewable as a base load is not affordable. Thanks very much for your comments on that. Uh, Buslats, I'd like to turn to you now, please. Um, As one of the few investors of coal in mining in South Africa, can you tell me why you think coal has a future in the region? Okay. So uh, I will uh, also share some slides on uh, on this part. So the first one that I'm sharing is the world energy consumption by energy sources. This is an information, uh, the source is the U.S. Energy Information Association, and this is a projection until 2040, what's going to happen in the world. And if you look at the slide, it shows clearly that fossil fuels has, uh, has a place in, in power generation. So petroleum and other liquids uh, share a, a huge, uh, huge uh, uh, piece, and then coal is increasing, then it's becoming stable, natural gas is increasing, Renewables, and, uh, renewables are increasing, obviously, dramatically, and the nuclear is flat. So this shows that there's a future for coal because I will share later on that uh, the world is building uh, coal-fired power stations. So uh, as I, as I uh, said earlier, uh, renewables and, and coal do not compete. They complement each other because the world needs energy. If you go to my next slide, it shows the energy consumption by region. Again, uh, the same source, U.S. Energy Information Association, that shows, this slide shows that there's a huge increase in power needs by 2040 uh, in Asia and Middle East. Africa is doubled. And uh, the flat one is Europe. And uh, interesting enough, they are the lobbyists for renewable energy, but their energy demand is not increasing. So they are actually... Uh, intervening on, on other parts of the world and saying, guys, you, you must do it in this fashion. But the reality is the growth is in Asia, Middle East, and, and, and Africa. And uh, next slide uh, I'm sharing uh, is the total coal consumption in the world in uh, 2016 and 2017. If you look at Chinese coal consumption, it's about 3.7 billion tons a year they consume coal. Uh, 
and then next is India, uh, close to a billion ton, and then United States, about 758, 800 million ton per annum. Europe is consuming a similar amount like United States. Then uh, Southeast Asia follows them, Russia and Japan. So there is a huge coal consumption in the world. Uh, that is a reality. And uh, this is because the world needs energy. So next slide that I'm going to share with you is a comparison between U.S. and China electricity supply in 2017. If you look at this slide, China is producing most of its energy from coal. There is a bit of uh, uh, natural gas, nuclear, wind, uh, hydro, and solar. But uh, the reality is uh, coal is there in China and the United States. And then uh, when we come to home, uh, South African electricity supply sources in 2017 the My Sources ESCOM's integrated report in 2017, it shows that ESCOM generates 37,000 megawatts from coal, and then it follows, uh, hydro follows it, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind. So uh, there are some IPPs on uh, wind and solar and, um, and natural gas, but again, the biggest reality is coal. South Africa has got coal-fired power stations, and we need them. So my uh, next slide is showing uh, the 1,600 new coal plants, uh, which is announced uh, in process of being built in 62 countries. So this, this will increase the world coal-fired uh, power capacity by 43%. So coal-fired power stations are a reality. It's happening. And I want to quickly mention about the, this, uh, like, uh, the technologies that is uh, available to deal with the carbon, carbon dioxide emissions and uh, SOx and NOx gases, which are actually standard um, like filter, uh, filter um, mechanism that deals with the CO2, but obviously it doesn't deal with everything. But then there's CCS, which is carbon capture and storage. There are, uh, there are applications in, in many parts of the world, and this is going to deal with the carbon, uh, carbon dioxide emissions. So uh, when the technology develops, uh, we, are, we are getting electric vehicles, we are dealing with renewables, and we also deal with the carbon dioxide emissions and NOx and SOx ga uh, gases emissions uh, out of, uh, of coal-fired power stations. So uh, another one that I want to share with you, uh, uh, my next slide is South Africa has got coal uh, reserves, which is amounted to 30.8 billion tons. And with the current production capacity, which is 160 million tons per annum, we can mine 118 years. So for, a, for any country, uh, if you've got this kind of reserve and you've got so much long life, what you do is you increase your, your production capacity because you don't know what's going to happen in 20 years with the technology. You, your coal reserves might be useless. Hence, it's important for South Africa to deal with this coal-fired power generation capacity instead of decreasing it uh, keep it same or increase it because there's also social aspects of it. Not only you've got reserves and you have to deplete and you have to like turn it into a commercial value, you must also look at the employees. Like this industry employs 86,000 people. And uh, if you like this uh, government's IRP uh, like, uh, strategy that they want to remove, 30, they, they want to decline the coal-fired power station 30%, I don't know if it's really realistic because what's going to happen to the people that's employed by the coal mining industry? 
So, which is critical for South Africa. This industry pays 25 billion rand in wages. So, it's critical for South Africa to deplete, to deplete, to deplete this resource uh, as much as possible. My last slide on, on this topic, uh, Laura, is it shows the, the coal uh, resources of South Africa uh, of the major listed mining companies, which is currently supplying coal to ESCOM and export markets. If you look at this, Exaro uh, is uh, the largest coal producer in the country. They have also uh, they've been controlling 38% of the coal resources. South 32 controls 32%. Blencore controls 17. Seriti controls 4%. These are the mines that they bought from Anglo. And uh, Optimum controls 4%. And Anglo-American controls 5%. So the, the reality is we have coal. We've got good resources in this country, and we need power to industrialize country further, to create jobs and deal with the community issues and make the country more stable. We need coal mining, we need coal-fired power generation, and we also need renewables. Thank you so much. I just want to uh, remind the audience that they can send their questions in. The questions that we have received at the earlier part of today um, I think a lot of those questions have been answered by our three panelists already, but very interesting. Laura, please uh, continue. Thank you. Brilliant. So continuing with the discussion, um, Ted, let me ask you a next question. What do you think is being done to facilitate research around improving the efficiency of converting coal to electricity? Okay, so uh, the technology is basically uh, over 100 years old. And uh, mainstream uh, producers, uh, whilst they've kept the R&D departments uh, alive, haven't really come up with uh, radical new uh, technology. However, I'm fortunate in that uh, I've uh, got a couple of entrepreneurs who contact me from time to time. And uh, the, I think the future in, in coal usage and deployment is clean coal. And uh, one of the ways of cleaning up coal and virtually eliminating uh, pollution or residue pollution is by micronizing the coal. In other words, you take it down to a uh, molecular level and uh, you then scrub it or wash it and clean out all the, uh, the pollution, polluting elements. And then you're basically left with a very clean carbon-based uh, product, which, is, uh, which has an incredible fluid and flow statistics. Uh, it's actually quite amazing. Now, what, what surprises me is that this research has been done by private laboratories and not the mainstream uh, Exoros and South 32s and Glencores. Uh, it seems to me those companies are all focusing on maximizing their current uh, the, the deployment. Uh, this, this research comes from really off-the-cuff uh, entrepreneurs who've now really spent a lot of their own money, hard-pressed money, uh, to prove this uh, this uh, technology and the improvements available by uh, micronizing the coal, so I'm I'm very bullish because once you get to the the, the molecular level of, of coal, uh, the behavior starts to be, uh, very very differently. Uh, uh, besides uh, having uh, you know uh, very clean properties, um, it's it's also got amazing transport uh, uh, abilities and affinity as well as uh, application uh, flexibility. Uh, I, I really think that uh, the world is just beginning to open in terms of uh, uh, doing uh, beneficiation of coal. Um, as I said, for, for the best part of 100 years, the technology has been very stagnant. In the last 30 years, there's been some effort of, uh, to uh, 
enhance quality to a higher grade by taking out the particulate uh, 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 pollutants. But uh, when you get down to micro level, I mean, that's when it's a whole new world. And I'm incredibly excited by what I've seen. Brilliant, Ted. Thanks for your insight there. With that, let me, let me come back to you, um, particularly because you are an investor that has such a strong passion for coal in particular. And with that in mind, getting back to the heart of what this debate is all about, which is renewables versus coal. And let me ask, what is your, is, is your opinion? Do you think investors should still be putting money into coal mines? Okay. Um, I, I think, uh, like I earlier said, uh, coal uh, has got a future, uh, at least in the foreseeable future, uh, in the world. Somebody is going to mine the coal and move it to, to the market. So if you look at the, uh, the big coal-producing countries in the world, South Africa is the sixth biggest. Uh, like uh, Indonesia is a very big producer. Australia is a very big producer, and they supply a lot of coal to, to Southeast East Asia and Asia. And South Africa is a, is a big supplier of coal to India. And uh, when India sorts its own problems uh, about power production, then there's huge capacity for South African coal to, to be burned. Uh, and because of the proximity of, the, of, of South Africa to India, it's a huge market for South Africa. Uh, Europe is no longer buying. It's only 10% of the RBCT uh, coal is going to Europe. Uh, most of the coal is going to Asia. But, uh, but the reality of the, the population in, in India and uh, the way that they need to develop the country in terms of infrastructure-wise, when they boom like China did boom, then... Uh, I think South Africa is not going to be producing enough to supply for that market. And then the other market for South African coal producers is is local market, ESCOM. ESCOM needs coal. ESCOM has got power stations, and uh, it was all paid out in terms of capital. ESCOM has got problems. We all know that. But uh, instead of criticizing ESCOM, I think what we should do is we should try to find out how we can help ESCOM. Because if ESCOM fails, country will fail. We will all fail. So we need, we need to make sure that ESCOM uh, is successful. We need to help government, current administration, to find uh, ways and to support them to, to, to resolve the issues, uh, issues at ESCOM. So once the problems at ESCOM is solved, that means ESCOM will burn more coal. Uh, so uh, we, uh, they are busy with Medupi and Kusida, which is uh, a year and a half or two years later, will be op- they will be both fully operational. That would mean also, again, more coal. So the uh, world needs coal, but uh, the, the lobby in Europe is actually has tainted coal so badly, and they, it's like coal is unwanted. But the reality is, think about it, Rio Tinto is out of coal, and they've got no thermal coal assets left. Southeast is getting out of uh, coal. They are selling their assets. Anglo-Americans sold their ESCOM coal assets, and they've got very limited export coal assets. So, so who's going to mine this coal and supply to the world? So the reality is, you can, I mean, if we leave, uh, uh, if the investors leave it to one company, it's going to be also to the detriment of the world, uh, coal-fired power energy cost. Okay, so I'm thinking that there's a huge room for uh, investors to look at coal mining uh, and uh, in, invest in coal mining because mainly two markets: South African inland market and India on its own. Huge market to supply from South Africa and. Remember, we've got a great uh, infrastructure in this country. We've got the uh, skills 
we got Transnet, which is quite um, uh, quite good performing, and uh, we got a state of the art a coal terminal, which is the largest coal terminal in the world, Richards Bay Coal Terminal. So why don't we use this infrastructure to make it work for uh, for the benefit of the, the investors in, in coal mining? Can I just add there, please? Of course, Ted. Okay, so uh, just to add some numbers to what uh, Wustrata said, Eskom uh, is, is really on, on, on the bones of its behind in terms of coal procurement. They've really missed the boat. And uh, the forward plan, uh, which I've been monitoring very closely, especially with the hearings going on, ESCOM needs to uh, um, commit commit to at least 100 million tons of coal uh, for the next uh, 20 to 30 years. And and that means massive new coal mine investment because uh, the Mickey Mouse players from which they're buying at the moment cannot provide sustainable, good quality, cheap coal. And uh, as Wustata said, these power stations are there. They've been amortized by and large. A lot of them are overcosted anyway, so Eskom shouldn't be allowed to build too many new power stations. Maybe the power sector can come in. But it can only come in if it shows an, an attitude and an appetite for investing in coal. And uh, with, if, if I knew there was a market of 100 million tons a year for at least the next 15 to 20 years, guaranteed, uh, I mean, there's no reason why one shouldn't look at that very favorably. Thanks. Laura, I want to um, add something. I want to add something. Sorry, sorry. Quickly, I want to add something. Uh, what uh, what Ted mentioned about the coal procurement. So uh, we need to understand one thing clear, and I, I mentioned this uh, in a, in a coal conference in the morning. Um, what ESCOM needs is ESCOM needs some uh, some uh, transparency in what they're doing. Okay, especially when they buy the coal. Because at the moment, what they do is they buy uh, from different companies at different prices. So if you are green, they pay you 15 rand a gigajoule. If you are red, they pay you 17 rand a gigajoule. If you are blue, then they pay you 22 rand a gigajoule. This cannot work like that because this causes uh, corruption. Uh, it cannot be uh, left in the hands of a few individuals to make a decision on what price they're going to pay and how they negotiate. So if I've got good negotiation power, then they, pay, they may pay me more. If somebody doesn't have that, they will pay less for the same quality call. So how we can solve this problem is it's simple. We need an index pricing for ESCOM quality call. Okay, so let's say if they're burning between 20 and 24 CV product, it, there can be a price for a certain quality call, let's say 20 CV product, and then there can be a price for a higher quality call, let's say 23 or 24 CV product. Then, then it's a demand and supply. If I've got coal and if I'm prepared to supply to ESCOM at a cheap price, then uh, I will do that. That's my choice. But if I don't want to supply at that price, I'll wait for the index price to be increased. So if, S- if ESCOM needs more coal, then they may, they may decide to pay the right price. And when I say this, I'm excluding the cost plus mines because I think cost plus mines is a necessity for this country as long as the cost is un- under control. Because I saw mines like Arnold Colliery, cost was completely out of control and ESCOM decided to close it. There was another reason why they closed the mine, but the main reason was the cost was out of control. So uh, long-term contracts, yes, they must be there because that deals with the average cost of uh, um, coal and that drops the average cost of coal. But when they buy on spot, there has to be a mechanism and everybody has to see it. If Ted supplies coal to ESCOM and if Bustad supplies coal to ESCOM, 
if it's the same quality, the price should be same. The price should not differ. So that's uh, that's very important if point uh, regarding what yeah. else comes in. If I may reply to Bushlat, yeah. Bushlat, uh, I'm at the hearings on uh, Monday, the ESCO price hearings, and I'm going to drop a bombshell about this price uh, discrepancy that you just highlighted, that pink people get paid more than green people get paid more than green people <laughs> and you pay brown people. So, uh, and some politicians have got their fingers in that pie. So uh, if you watch the ESCO hearings on Monday, you'll certainly get uh, a bombshell being dropped uh, in my presentation at those, present, uh, those hearings. Yeah, I think... Uh, uh we, we've got something that Ted has raised, and I think it can't be ignored. You know, ESCOM is burning the coal, and we get pollution. But that coal, who, who, who is the originator, owner of that coal before ESCOM buys it? It's the coal mines. So we, we need to find a way of the coal mines investing into getting clean coal from their products. It can't be left for ESCOM and ESCOM alone is blamed for, 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 for the pollution. Do they have a choice? Because everybody that is still blaming them when they get home, they still want to switch on their life and the life should be on. So uh, all, all, everybody has to come into the game as to how do we get into this clean coal. So I believe the coal mines can add some little value add on their products on researching and ensuring that you know their products are now less pollution or completely eliminate the, the pollution it can be done. The, the other thing is this one of, of the price. I, I fully agree, really. If if a South African mine finds it best for them to export coal instead of giving ESCOM first priority at the right price, and remember, ESCOM is selling this energy to our wives, to our families. Uh, so when we sit in these boardrooms of these companies, we should not behave as if it's only affecting me and, and other people that are complaining are people that I don't know. It's affecting everybody that is living where you're living, except if you're not a South African, you're operating from outside, then, then I would agree, and maybe we should not even have a deal with you. Okay, so just to put a number to it, um, the irregular expenditure by ESCOM on coal, as has been uh, 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 highlighted here today, uh, I did a presentation in PE uh, last week on that, and that quantum is around about 40 billion rand a year. I repeat, 40, 40 billion rand a year of irregular expenditure on the coal side that isn't regulated, as Wuslat has suggested and as Silas has suggested, in an orderly fashion. There's a lot of it goes into people's back pockets, et cetera, et cetera. And that is my plea to the regulator on Monday, is to force ESCOM to clean up the transparency in its coal procurement program. I've offered to help. ESCOM has said they want my help, but you know, that's as far as we seem to clear every time. The, the corruption is at least 3 billion rand a month. It's a lot of money to go into people's back pockets. And it's costing you and me and ESCOM 40 billion rand a year more than what it should be if everything was regularized on long-term contracts. Thank you. Silas, let me pick up where, where we left off, and, and we were talking about the fact that coal is important for the country, regardless of what we need to take it forward. But let's look at it from another aspect as well. What do you think, Silas, would happen to the coal resources in Africa if we did not use them for power generation? 
there's not much uh, outside the power generation that 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 they can be used for um except if we then uh, allow companies like Sasol to be uh, all across the continent but you know the the whole world uh, economy has been run through coal and and there's there's power stations that are 70 75 year older uh, you know where they're still operating and we we're complaining about our power stations that are 35 40 years old so it it might have to do with the 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 management of those power stations how we've been maintaining them over the years uh, and how much have we investing of our revenues back into the operational and maintenance budget south africa is not good in reinvesting in their uh, assets and that includes research and development so uh, i i think it it won't be fair for africa to be instructed not to use its coal reserves when the coal is in is in africa how else are we going to make sure that this that continent is easily lit at the, at the cheaper rate if we can get the prices right we can then get these all these arguments of the hearings right because it could be it would be cost reflective and and there's no way that you'll 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 you'll, you'll get your tariffs right if you're sourcing from different uh, uh, with different at different prices from different people. I mean, how how do you then budget? So I I I agree fully. The the issue of uh, of coal price have to be kept. We have to classify uh, coal uh, and and give it a, a value so that it could make uh, the life of ESCOM easy and it will be easy for them to to budget and forecast and project over the coming 15 years, then uh, all of us in, as the citizens, as the constituency of this uh, beautiful country can then know ahead uh, of, 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 of the times that uh, electricity price will be going up or down or remain stagnant. Um, we, 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 our social challenge alone doesn't allow for our current formulas on how we're running our electricity industry. May I comment on that? Okay, so if, if we get uh, electricity priced uh, to, to, to what I consider a pre-corruption price, then our electricity tariffs should halve. Uh, we should not be paying more than 40 cents a kilowatt hour uh, for electricity in today's terms. And if you, if you want to really make it easy and benefit the, the nation, uh, the cost of collecting and reading electricity meters is probably more than the cost of the electricity that's consumed. So uh, I think that uh, if, if we can just get rationality, we clean up the corruption at Eskom, we clean up the 40 billion in, uh, in uh, wasted money on the coal contracts, we clean up the uh, 31 billion in excess staff headcounts at Eskom, and one or two other corruption issues, we can reduce the coal price, uh, the electricity price to below 40 cents a kilowatt hour, and have plenty of money to amortize the enormous debt that this organization is sitting on. So I'm very positive. We hold hands and we work together and uh, uh, you know, we stop the corruption. I think the big thing is that that's really getting everybody hot under the collar is the goddamn corruption. I mean, it's busy killing this economy and it's pervasive. As uh, Lisa, a recent Bosasa hearing we've seen the, uh, and, and so forth, uh, we need to rid, rid our economy of this corruption and then we've all got a bright future together. Thank you so much, uh, everyone. We've had some incredible questions coming through from the audience. 
but what I would like to start off with is around the rest of Africa. We have been talking a lot about South Africa, but what about coal uh, opportunities in the rest of the continent? This is a, a, um, a question that we could raise and then take this conversation forward. With that, if you would like to start. So coal mining opportunities in the rest of Africa. So, um, look, uh, South Africa obviously is the biggest producer in the African continent. We've got lots of uh, coal in Botswana and uh, a massive resource base, but the issue is it's a landlocked, landlocked country. First, South African coal should be depleted before, uh, before South Africa looks at like getting coal from Botswana. That's my opinion. And uh, they may consider putting up uh, coal-fired power stations and uh, uh, do like uh, do supply other parts of Africa from Botswana. That could be one of the ways to uh, to mine the coal and, and generate power. Zimbabwe has got coal reserves. It's metallurgical coal and also thermal coal. Uh, but Zimbabwe has got its own predicament at the moment, and uh, they haven't sold that uh, sold their issues. Mozambique has got huge deposits, uh, again, thermal and cocking coal. Wale is a big investor there, and they are, they're mining. They invested uh, massively on the rail infrastructure. They're uh, mining and uh, taking it out of Nakala and uh, the Nakala port uh, of Mozambique. Uh, so these are the main places. So there are coal deposits in Zambia and Tanzania as well, but they're more like for local uh, and local uh, uh, markets. Plus, uh, there are projects that I see that in Tanzania they want to uh, generate uh, coal-fired uh, power, also in Zambia. So uh, this is in like an overview of about uh, Southern Africa, what's happening and what can be done. Uh, but again, uh, South Africa has got the infrastructure and the resources, reserves. Hence, uh, South Africa has got uh, is, is a leader for coal uh, coal mining in the in the continent. Ashley, can I add? Oh, Ashley. thank you so much. I was like, uh, it, uh, Ted, would Can you I like add? to add to that? Yes? Let Charles go first. Charles, go. Okay, thanks, Ted. Um, I, I think South Africa is missing the opportunity. The opportunity of becoming the energy hub for sub-Saharan, at least sub-Saharan. We are good in high voltage transmission lines. We've been good in generating uh, uh, energy. We are supplying nearly everyone who is our neighboring states, probably except uh, Mozambique. And, and we, we should actually be, be saying we're going to add more or may ensure that our current fleet of power stations are going to be maintained and refurbished so as we can supply Africa, the, the continent, with, 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 with energy. The lenders are here. They would support that. In other parts of our continent, there's no lenders who want to put money in there. Actually, you will be surprised that Swaziland and Botswana, with all their good coal reserves, they actually want South Africa to be the off-taker and give a power purchase agreement. When their own communities, some don't have electricity. We should not allow that. They should start with their own and give us what is uh, extra, and then, then we, we, we can take. But we still have a good chance of supplying our whole continent as South Africa. We don't have that much gold anymore. We've got a lot of energy to give to our continent. 
if I can just type to Silas there, um, I think it's an opportunity that's really not being uh, maximized at the moment. And a lot of it is due to misdemeanors and, and um, bad behavior by Eskom. I mean, I'm fully aware that uh, there was a major agreement between South Africa as Eskom and Botswana as early as 2006. And then Eskom came, uh, the Eskom officials at that time, and I'll be testifying about that at Zondo uh, Commission. Uh, the Eskom officials were asking for kickbacks and, uh, and, and interest for their family and all sorts of misdemeanors, which is really, uh, I mean, that's what really gets me hot under the collar. Uh, Silas is right. Uh, South Africa certainly should, has been a hub of energy in, Southern, in the South African power pool, the SAPP, and as, as the opportunity to go wider, I'm aware of massive shortages of energy in Zambia. Zambia is looking to build nearly 10 gigawatts of new capacity to sort out the beneficiation of their copper. I'm aware of massive shortages of power in the southern Congo. And the Congo is a big country. The, the, uh, it's cheaper for them to link into the southern African grid than to actually put up their own grids uh, for, uh, anew. So there are major opportunities. Even in, in Tanzania, their coal is, is not a fantastic quality. It lies right next to uh, 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 Malawi. Uh, Malawi's got negligible uh, coal, but uh, Tanzania's got major coal. But that also is all virgin stuff. It's all virgin projects. The time is now. The pace is here. And it's time for the South African business people and the, especially the government to sort out the corruption and grasp the baton and get going as fast as possible. We're not building our future as we should be because we're all hesitant to be waiting for each other. We need to open our mouths and start shooting the criminal. Uh, thank you so much, Ted. Um, I'd like to ask Silas uh, around investment. Uh, is this something that the development banks should be looking at as well, or who should be investing in the whole market? Uh, look, my understanding of, of, of the investors and um, a lot of our lenders is that uh, they, they they would invest in in clean coal uh, uh, power generation they're not saying they hate coal um, they, there's lots of um, uh, scary stories about uh, people uh, living around the power stations that are ill and I think it, if, if it can be proven um, then it, 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 it gets more scarier. But, you know, we, we will be forced by the investors to go clean. And, and there are technologies that can help us do that. So it's, it's not true that the investors are, are not into coal. I mean, no, no coal mine in South Africa is not funded by the same in, uh, lenders. So, but they, they want to see a change. They want to ensure that um, communities uh, live healthier. And, and I think it's upon us as engineers to ensure that, uh, that, that that happens. The quicker we come up with those solutions and present to them, the more money would be coming into, into these programs. But at the moment, we've got many other things that are making uh, investors and lenders scared of, of, of coal. If you look at how long it took us to build Midupi and Kusile, I mean, <laughs> I, I can't comment more on that. But if you're going to uh, uh, allow the same time to take to build new stations, nobody's going to invest. Nobody's going to invest, whether it's, it's renewable or coal. So the, the private sector has got an opportunity, having proven on the IPP side that they do adhere to their timelines, to come into the game as long as they can also create jobs as, as, as much as ESCOM is expected to create jobs. So 
uh, uh, to me, the end product would be the energy. I don't even know where it comes from now in, in my house, whether it's from Midupi or Majuba or, or Litabo Power Station. Anyway, all I want is that it should get to me when I want it. Thank you so much. Um, I have another audience question, which I would like to pose to Vuslat uh, this time, and that is around who should improve the verification of coal to achieve clean coal? Coal mines, is it IPPs, is it maybe ESCOM? Okay, so there are, um, there are different stages. It starts with the, with the mining and the processing of the coal. Uh, when you process coal and you target to process coal in such a way that you deal with the sulfur, you produce the sulfur as, le- as low as possible, let's say less than 1% or less than 0.5%, depends on the target of the power station. Obviously, that affects the, the bad gases uh, that gets out of uh, the, the chimneys of the power station. So it starts with processing the coal. Then, uh, when it's burned in the power station, then the power station has to deal with, the, with capturing the, the CO2, dealing with the emissions. That's why I earlier mentioned about carbon capture storages or, or filter systems that's used in, in, in coal-fired power stations. But I want to I also add something. When I look at the audience, what they're asking, um, I feel like, uh, I feel like uh, some, some, of, uh, some people do not know the regulations in this country. They think like if you want to go and start a coal mine it takes a month or two months and you start you mine as you wish and then you just pollute the environment ESCOM does the same things I, I, I think that's wrong because we've got systems in this country to get a mining right it's a process to get a water use license it's a process when you start today it takes almost two and a half three years to start a mine and you have to follow the processes. You have to make sure that your impact to the environment is minimal. You have to make sure that your impact to the water resources are minimal. We are living in the same environment. Nobody wants to leave a bad legacy to their kids and say, and the, the kids will be pointed, oh, your dad did this to the environment. No, there are rules in this country. So, and the, the policeman is the Department of Mineral Resources. And believe it or not, believe it or not but it works. They are good policemen. They go and check the mines regularly, and they want to make they make sure that the mines are complying according to the Mining Works Program, Environmental Impact uh, Assessment, Environmental Management Program, and it works. So if you go and visit any coal mine, Anglo Americans, uh, South Peritus, Kenyan coals, Exaros, there are rules that are complied with. So uh, the mines are trying their best to make sure that they impact the environment the least. They impact the water resources the least. Obviously, there are exceptions. Uh, so I want to think positive. And I also want to think positive about ESCOM. I understand, like Ted, uh, Ted uh, points out the issues, and I agree with him. There are big issues. But how can we solve it? There's a new administration. Can we give them a chance? Can we believe in them and tell them, listen, in the previous management, this is what happened. They paid more to this company, more to that company. They're paying the trucking companies double than the normal uh, market-related rate. Can you please deal with this? And then let's watch them. Let's watch them closely. So uh, I want to really think positive and then see if, if the new administration, ESCOM, makes it possible. I know, I know it's a, it's a Big mission. It's really difficult, but I, I believe that we have very good human skills in this country, and I believe in the people of South Africa that they can they can deal with this issue. 
which is a like I said, which is a huge issue for the country because if ESCOM, like I said earlier, if ESCOM fails, we're going to be in trouble. So we need to make sure that ESCOM makes it work. Thank you for that, Zislat. Um, I'd like to to ask Ted uh, to respond to a question that we received from the audience that asks about the term base load and whether this is still uh, something that should be used in our future energy grids or should we be looking at energy uh, differently? Is base load something that is, uh, should not be addressed at all? Okay, so uh, it's an interesting question. Thank you very much for that. Uh, so the first thing is that uh, the, 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 the abolition of baseload uh, comes directly from the mouths of the renewable industry uh, because they don't have dispatchable or baseload energy. I mean, it depends on what terminology you want to use. The bottom line is, in, in most industries, if you want to run a heavy industry, like the mining industry or the smelting industry or any industry where the use of the electricity is, is user-critical, uh, you cannot not have or ignore the term baseload or dispatchable uh, because at the end of the day, if it's not, a, not available, uh, you have critical uh, uh, consequences. So as much as, as, as uh, the renewable industry would like to say uh, you must uh, temper your demand as and when electricity is available, that's not the reality that we're living in at the moment. And until they put up enough storage to co compete on an equal footing, uh, the term baseload and baseload suppliers will be with us forever, um, especially more so in a country that's heavily dependent on its future in beneficiation of its minerals. Uh, you need industrial level power. Uh, if you have the best renewables, the best renewables at the moment uh, in terms of output are probably the uh, salt-based uh, renewable stations, uh, molten salt-based stations, and the most power that they can put out is around about 300-odd megawatts. Uh, to get to the proper furnaces and smelting that we, where we use uh, for, for uh, smelting industrial-based minerals, we, we need past, uh, power to be able to consistently run at a much higher level than that. And uh, hence, uh, I don't think the, the playing field are level. And until the technology catches up on the renewable side, we will stay with baseload. We're looking at the energy mix in South Africa. Uh, what is the ideal balance? And this is a question that has come through from quite a few people. Okay, so I think at, at the end of the day, uh, the academic studies that have been done show that as soon as you start uh, increasing your yeah. renewable mix above 30%, uh, you start picking up uh, uh, unpredictability in your grid. So uh, from, from what I've read, I don't have hands-on experience, and I don't want hands-on experience because I don't want a meltdown in my grid. Uh, but seemingly, the current safety level for renewables is around about 30% of capacity. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you very um, much. I'm afraid we've reached the end. We're going to have to wrap up now. Laura, please take over. Thanks. In closing, on behalf of myself and Nicolette, I'd like to thank our guest speakers for their contribution and their expertise and also to our guests for tuning in. I trust it's been an informative session for everyone. I'd also like to remind you that there is a recorded version of today's discussion which will be available to access from either the Mining Review or the ESI Africa website. And also to note that the topic will be discussed further in a panel discussion next week at the Mining in Darba Conference in Cape Town, which I will be moderating and that Bushlaff will also be participating in. So I hope to see you all there. Once again, thanks very much for tuning in.